Good everyone, this is Rita Join and welcome to the Unbox Your Give podcast, how to turn a passion into a profession. Today's episode is all about never too late to be great. And that's a book title by Tom Butler Bowden. Tom Butler Bowden wrote a book a few years back called Never Too Late to Be Great. And it's all about people who had quote unquote made it or became successful. In other words, became known for their work. Uh, after the age of 30, after the age of 30 onwards. So a lot of people think you need to make it at a certain age. And this book, Never Too Late, Never Too Late to Be Great, completely obliterates ageism. The 30s, the 40s, the 50s and 60s and beyond. And it's all about how to muster the courage to do what you do, even though the age seems like too over the top or too old or not enough or not... Uh, not equipped enough, not smart enough, not knowledgeable enough, or whatever it might be. And it's very interesting because in the culture that we live in, in the social media world of our current lives, we are constantly looking and seeing and hearing of people who are accomplishing different things on their social feeds that invariably, if you watch too much of it, if you listen to too much of it, if you start, you start comparing yourself. And this book is really good to put everything in perspective and just to stay in your own lane and in your own work. And the author talks about a particular quote by a poet and humanitarian, Samuel Ullman, who says that youth is not a time of life, it's a state of mind. Youth is not a time of life, it's a state of mind. Nobody grows old merely by living a number. We grow old by deserting our ideals. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. Isn't that just yummy? Just absolutely yummy. And so what I want to do on this episode is I want to give a shopping list of people who made it, quote unquote, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, some even made it in their 80s, you know, and just for you, to, for you and I to put that into perspective, because I think that we can lose that perspective, you know, before social media existed, before the internet existed, we were, we were like, I mean, before the internet existed, we were doing our own thing in our own lane. And the most comparison we ever got was the comparison at school, you know, who got the highest mark and then at work, who got the promotion. That was all the, all, mostly. And then there was magazines and newspapers, but that's, you know, that wasn't in your face all the time. That wasn't on your phone. That wasn't following you everywhere like, like your phone is. But now the phone does follow us or we follow our phone <laughs> more to the point. And we are seeing things uh, more frequently and the frequency of seeing things at such a rate can let al allow people to feel left out, feeling lost, feeling uh, unworthy of what their own journey, of where they're own going. So let's get into this book. Let me give you some examples of how things have turned out and how things have turned out by chance for many of them. So in one of the stories, a British lawyer in 1961, a 39-year-old British lawyer, was on his way to work on the London Underground and he opened the newspaper and he read that he, there was a small piece in that newspaper about two students who had been jailed for seven years by the Portuguese government for raising their glasses in a toast for freedom. And this guy in the London Underground thought to himself, these two students got seven years for raising a toast and the guy's name was Peter Benenson. So he's totally shocked, 
What he does, though, is he thinks, what can I do about this? I mean, this is just ludicrous. Seven years for making a toast. The first thing he wanted to do is wanted to go to the Portuguese embassy and start to protest. But I thought, he thought, you know, instead of going to the to protesting, he went and reflected about this, about what he should actually do, which is really important. It's a very important emotional intelligence skill, self-reflection. And so what he did was he went to St. Martin's uh, Church. St. Martin's is a church in England, uh, in London. He went there and then he just had some time to think quietly. And in that quietude of his mind, he thought of a plan. And then within a few weeks, he wrote to the observer to get uh, an article, to get an article published for an appeal. And the article was called The Forgotten Prisoners. And it urged people in the public to take action against what was happening to these political prisoners. And it caught the imagination, like it caught the attention of many people who had read that article. And then a year later, he formed an organization to coordinate letter writing to campaigns for political prisoners. Within a year, the letter writing groups had formed in over a dozen countries. And it all started with that little article that he wrote in protest in the newspaper for those two students who got in prison for seven years. That organization that started off with that small little article that turned into a letter writing group that then caught the attention of so many people and expanded is now called Amnesty International. And all it was was someone who, was, who felt so deeply about something. And that's how ideas start. And what I took from that story, guys, what I took from that story was that his first instinct was to go and protest at the Portuguese government. And that comes from anger, that comes from caring, that comes from empathizing, that comes from just loving humanity that, they, that this person wanted to go and support Peter Benenson, wanted to go support these two students and be a voice for them when they couldn't use their own voice. But self-reflection, you know, every time I read a story now, every time I, I look, read a biography, an autobiography, like little mini snippet stories like this one, I look for what did they do that involved their emotional intelligence? Because that can give me a clue and that clue I can then I can then unpack that success. I can then unpack why it became a success. Obviously, there's work involved. Obviously, there's work ethic involved. Obviously, there's passion involved. That's a given. But to unpack its roots, I always look for the emotional intelligence piece. Like, what did they do in terms of self-regulation, self-awareness, empathy? So what did they do in those terms? And then I think to myself, if I can do that for my own self, that I can unpack what I feel strongly about. I can unpack something that might occur to me that means something that I could help someone with. And in this case, like I mentioned, self-reflection. It, it's just huge. And with that self-reflection came the birth of that article, which then just gave rise to the movement that came Amnesty International. Had he have gone to protest, he would have been a lone soldier on his own. He wasn't a soldier, he was a lawyer. Lone lawyer on his own protesting. And would probably would have been shooed away, like go home and just well, go to work and just calm down. But he chose to do something completely different, and it was the by it was just the the foundation of that was self reflection. I mean, every every religion. I mean, I'm Muslim. Talks about reflection. Talks about and for good reason and for an incredible reason because it actually works. 
self-reflection actually works. Living in a very fast-paced environment, in a fast-paced world, I mean, everyone is, even if it's not fast-paced, the fact that everything is going to be done right now, and if it's not done right now, it's too late because it was due yesterday. Reflection, self-reflection is taken out of the equation because self-reflection requires time. It requires deep thought. It requires introspection. It requires insight. And that's hard to do when everything else that we do is based on immediate pleasure, social media, watching TV, watching Netflix, um, reading an article, listening to music. It's just now. We get it now. We get the hit now. But self-reflection takes introspection. It takes time. It take, requires slowing down, which is what the struggle is, I believe, with why uh, we don't do self-reflection anymore because it requires us to slow down when, when we're just not used to it, when we just can't do it. I just yesterday, I was trying to focus on my breathing, trying to do some kind of, you know, meditation, like just trying to focus on my breathing. And I realized only after doing five deep breaths that I was like, I was getting bored of it. Like, I was like, oh, but that takes practice. And I've heard people say that focusing on your breath to calm the mind down, to unhook from the day, it takes practice. And that's the exact right reason because we're just going, we're on a roll. And so that's why Amnesty International, I believe, became successful based on this story. So let me move forward now. Leonardo da Vinci began the Mona Lisa in his 50s. Leonardo da Vinci began the Mona Lisa in his 50s and was still painting well into his 60s. Adam Smith published his famous Wealth of Nations at 53 after over a decade of work. Immanuel Kant only became a professor of philosophy at 46. Isn't that incredible? These people that you hear their names all the time in quotes, in philosophy, in books that you read, in, uh, in, in non-fiction books. I mean, these guys that you hear their names all the time, really, according to the, the current environment of how success should be, it should be instant, it should be now, it should be straight away. These guys actually went into their 50s, 40s, 50s and 60s and actually made themselves, made their work uh, established into the world and made their difference that way. Benjamin Franklin was 70 when he helped draft the Declaration of Independence and 78 when he invented the bifocal lens. I didn't even know he did that. 78 when he invented the bifocal lens, that was Benjamin Franklin. Nelson Mandela became president of South Africa at 76. William Steig was a cartoonist who provided hundreds of cartoons for the New Yorker. In his early 60s, he wrote his first children's book and in his 80s produced a picture book, Shrek. Can you imagine? Oh my goodness, that was William Steig. In his 80s produced a picture book, Shrek. Incredible. Um, Charles Perrault, the Frenchman who gave us the classic fairy tales of Cinderella and Tom Thumb, only had them published when he was 69. And they didn't come out under his own name, but that of his infant son. In his 70s, Sir Henry Parks became the father of the Australian Federation. That's, that's just incredible. And then became a father in his 70s. Uh, <laughs> when you read these kinds of stories, you're kind of like gobsmacked at, at the success that was and how we've changed the definition. 
Voltaire was 65 when he, was, when he wrote Candid, and Goth was 82 when he finished writing another classic of World of Chat Forced. Roget uh, first published, published Roget's Thesaurus when he was 73, and then kept on editing up until he was 90 years old. 90. Unbelievable. At 66, Samuel Huntington penned his famous essay, The Clash of Civilizations. Nirhar Chaudhary wrote his first autobiography of an unknown Indian at 50, and half a century later, at 99, published the sequel, Thy Hand, Great Anarch. As the climax to a successful career as a plastic surgeon, Maxwell Maltz wrote his self-improvement classic, Psycho-Cybernetics, at 61, and became a popular lecturer. Linus Pauling published more scientific papers between the ages of 70 and 90 than he did between 50 and 70. The management guru, Peter Drucker, liked to say he did his best work in his 30s and 40s, but he remained in high demand until his death in 2005 at the age of 94. Unbelievable. And then lastly, I'll end it with this. Michelangelo was still, was still doing Fresh Coast, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Fresh Coast in the Vatican at 89, and Homer wrote the Odyssey as a blind old man. I mean, incredible. Voltaire said that work, in his definition of work, banishes three great evils, boredom, vice, and poverty. This is isn't it true? Have you ever been unemployed? Have you ever had not had a job? Have you ever seen someone retired and not be able to work or not want to work or not be in a product, something that's productive for them? And Voltaire, back in the day, had wrote that without work, there's three great evils that take place, boredom, vice, and poverty. And then if you do work, work that matters to you, those are the three things that it, that it alleviates. Buffon, the 19th century naturalist, simply said, genius is patience. And that's one of the biggest uh, themes throughout this book, that genius is patience, that patience is the glue that allowed the works of Voltaire, of people like uh, Nelson Mandela, of people like Michelangelo, of the people that I just read out their names. It was those things, it was patience that had the founder of Amnesty International reflect and look at how is the best way that I can make an impact and really help and not just go from the seat of my pants and just do what I feel like doing, which was protesting. And patience is the biggest key. And patience is the hardest thing because anything that comes quickly can go as quickly. And it talks about in the book that often the biggest blow is the last hammer that strikes the nail it, 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 the, the last hammer that strikes the nail like really secures the nail in and that's what patience is it's just pay, waiting it out waiting it out and just keep on working and not getting distracted into comparisonitis and and feeling left out so if you're feeling that you might be too old you're not enough you don't have the education if you're feeling any of those thoughts the best thing to do as the holiday season is approaching, grab this book, Never Too Late to Be Great, The Power of Thinking Long by Tom Butler Bowden. And I got this, this book by just absolute 
I don't believe in chance. By coincidence, you know, it was just, I was at a very small bookshop. I love bookshops. And I found this just sitting there on its own. And I flipped it through and I thought it's just got fantastic content that really does stimulate thinking. It stimulates the realness of what it is versus the bite sound or the sound bites that we hear in the media and in social media the sound bite posts, the short little things, you know, that doesn't cover it. That doesn't just do justice to the deep level of work and introspection everyone has to go through to have their work matter, to have their work make an impact and to make a contribution in its real sense. So before I wrap up, I want to leave you with this, this particular quote by Schultz, who is the founder of Starbucks. A lot of what we ascribe to luck is not luck at all. It's seizing the day and accepting responsibility for your future. It's seeing what other people don't see and pursuing that vision, no matter who tells you not to. And with that, guys, I hope you have a beautiful day. I hope you know the power of thinking long. And I hope you know that it's never too late to be great. And you use these people as an example. And if you want more examples, go grab the book or let me know. And I will give you more stories of these people who have turned their passion and created a real stamp of their profession in our lives. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. My advice to myself and to you is that life is a gift and together let's unbox it. God bless.